Hey, this is Eric Olivares, pastor at Axios Church in Lakeland, Florida, and this is our podcast. Axios' mission is to point people to Jesus so they can find worth and purpose in God. We hope this message encouraged you and uplift you throughout your... Jack the Skeleton, he's all about this Halloween town and everything, but then he found Christmas. He found Christmas. He found the joy of Christmas. He found the love of Christmas, and he's understanding what it is to live in the joy of Christmas, the joy. Anybody say they need joy in their life? They need some joy in their life. In this crazy, chaotic world, who needs some joy in their life? And here they found, he found joy in that. And um, as we were going to be talking this series, um, this series we're going into, um, and we like to have fun in December. So we're going to go to different movies, take some truth out of there, and actually get into the word of God. Is it okay to have fun at church? Amen, amen, amen. So we talk about Jack found the perspective change of happiness and joy in the Christmas season. And today we're going to go into a message series. This is called, um, the movie was called The Nightmare Before Christmas. But today we're going to talk about The Nightmare After Christmas. Everybody say, The Nightmare After Christmas. See, we, we, we need to understand that Jesus came to this world as a baby and it wasn't, For some, there was a miraculous thing, but for others, it was not the best thing ever. He came to disrupt the culture of that day. He came to disrupt the, uh, made some people upset. I mean, that's why they killed him, the reality of it. But it started with the beginning of his life. We're going to take here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 and 23. We see Jesus already being born. We see the, the, the shepherds have come. The, the, the wise men have just showed up. We, we know the little manger scene that we see the wise men and the shepherds all together. It's kind of a little false because the wise men come about two years later after, after um, Jesus is born. So Jesus is about two years old and the wise men come and they find Jesus and they give him the gifts as we see. So just to consolidate the whole manger scene, let's just go to Hobby Lobby and put them all together. That's what happened. But in reality, the shepherds are already gone and the wise men come two years later. And this is where we find this scene in the Bible in Matthew chapter two, verse 12 through um, 23. And Joseph, the son, uh, the, Joseph, um, Jesus' dad is getting a dream. Let's give it a little context. Let's read here a little bit and we're gonna go move forward into what the nightmare after Christmas. Verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remaining there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophets out of Egypt. I call my son, verse 16. And Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all in the regions who were two years old, two years old and under according to the time that they um, the, uh, of the from the wise men 
Then he, this was to fulfill what was spoken to Jeremiah. A voice was, was heard at Araha, um, weeping in lamentation, Rachel weeping for their children, and refused to comfort because there was no more. In verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, take the child to his, uh, and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for he sought the child's life, uh, who sought the child's life is now dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to um, the land of Israel. But when he heard um, that it was reigning over Judea in, in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew and to the district of Galilee and he went to live in the city called Nazareth. So that was spoken to the prophets to fulfill that he was a Nazarene. There's a lot of things going on right there, but I just wanted to kind of just read it out. Let me just give a little context, um, the ESV version, Eric Standard Version, okay? Here's the thing. The wise men go to Herod trying to get information about this child, this, this king of the Jews that were coming. And they finally go to Herod, and Herod, thinking that he was going to trick the wise men, said, hey, I want to go worship as well. While you go and search, come back and give me a report of what, where the child is, where he's laying, where he's going, so then I can go worship him. But the reality is Herod did not want to go worship Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus because there was jealousy that was in Herod's heart. And he knew that if there was another king that was going to rise up and take his throne, then he wasn't going to be king and revolts will happen and the, it'll be chaos all around. Because they called Jesus the king of the Jews, but in reality, Herod was the king of that time in that region. So jealousy will kill you and some of the things that God has for you as well. Because he was jealous. He was jealous of a baby, a little baby. So then he goes and says, hey, go and tell, tell me, give me a report of where Jesus is. And then when the wise men finally got to the place where Jesus is, Jesus, his presence, the baby Jesus, the two-year-old Jesus, there is said that their mindset, their perspective changed and they went another way. So what the plan was, what Herod's plan was for the wise men to come, when, when, they, when the wise men experienced Jesus, their perspective changed and they went another way. So this is where we see this. We see Herod finally realizing he's waiting for the time for the wise men to come back. He's like, where are they at? Where are they at? And he realized right away he got tricked. He got tricked by the wise men. So he got mad. He got mad. And we see this, this dialogue and we see these dreams that the, the, the father of Jesus himself, Joseph, is experiencing. See, we don't hear a lot about Joseph in the Bible. We don't hear a lot. We, we see him as kind of a supporting role to Mary. I mean, Mary was, it was it. You know, Mary, like we even have religions I'm still about Mary because she was the mother of Jesus. And I, I, I've had kids before and the men don't do much. We don't do much. We don't get a lot of credit for this thing. We got to hold your hand. We got to do the support. Be like, <laughs> that's what we do. We're the hee hee who people. But the women, I mean, they're the troopers. I remember the first time we had, well, the first time we had, like the only time we had Elijah. Um, Elijah was born. And they, listen, 
They don't train, men, we, we understand, they don't train us for this stuff. We don't go to school for the, for the birth. Because when I was there for the first time, I'm like, they said, this is a magical, beautiful moment. I don't know about you, was it magical or beautiful for me? I was, I was like, he, he, who, and like, it's about the fate, he, he, who, and he, and, and Jess is holding my hand, and she's like, Jess, she couldn't breathe. You know, we went through all the classes, and we went everything, and Jess couldn't breathe at this moment. I didn't know where, there was no breath in her lungs, because she was trying to, she, she was, it was coming and coming. I'm like, breathe, girl, breathe, breathe. I'm trying to breathe for her. It was not a beautiful experience. <laughs> so we naturally see Joseph as a supporting role for Mary. But we see Joseph in key moments in Jesus's life from his birth. The, one, the first time is Mary comes to Joseph and say, hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, what did we do? We didn't do nothing. You're a virgin. Well, then, then she, he's thinking in his mind, he's like, wait, she cheated on me? I mean, let, let's just, this is Jerry Springer episode right here, okay? You're like thinking, like, what, was it me? You know, like, no, it's by the Holy Spirit. Okay, now Mary, we got to take you to the doctor. You're weird. And he, at first, he didn't accept it, right? We read the, read the word. Until a dream came to Joseph and changed his perspective, and he took the baby and his mother, and they went through the whole nativity scene. Here we see another thing. Now Herod is going to kill, wants to kill Jesus. Kill the Messiah, kill the purpose before in infancy form. He wanted to kill Jesus because of jealousy. And now the God comes to Joseph again in another dream saying, hold up. Wait a minute. I know you guys are great in, in, in Bethlehem where you're at, but I need you to exit stage left real fast. I need you to get married. Get Jesus and get your butt to Egypt right away because Herod is coming to kill the promised one. Here's one thing I understand about Joseph. We don't see a lot about him, but when God spoke to Joseph, things happened. When, when, when God spoke to Joseph, he didn't hesitate. When God spoke to Joseph, he was not, hey, did you miss this one? No, no, no. Even though how crazy it is, even though what, however it came about, whatever God said, Joseph said, hey, we're doing it no matter what. To take your baby and your, and your mother out of all the crazy things and to take them to Egypt of all places. To Egypt. But God said it. Joseph did it. So if anything that you need to understand is, in your life, you need to have somebody that is listening to God. Because some of us, we're, we, we shut our ears because some of the stuff that God tells us to do, we don't want to do because it's a little crazy. Take the, you're going to be a father, a virgin, go to Egypt. That's crazy things in the natural. But when God spoke it, Joseph was listening and not only did Joseph listen in obedience, he protected the chosen one and saved generations to come. What if your listening to God can save generations of your family? 
What if you are having a, a tuned ear to the Holy Spirit can save not only your kids, but your kids' kids? What if the decision that you've made and the, 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 the hearing that you made that, that God is speaking to you and you not questioning it and you just going out, what if it's not only for you, but it's for generations to come? If Joseph did not listen to the dream and act on it, because sometimes we listen and don't act, but he listened and acted on it and now saved the Messiah. Man, that's, a, that's a, a powerful thing. But two years old, we come here, and it's one of the worst times in the Israelites' nation. It's, it's literally was called the massacre of the innocent. It's documented in, this, in, in history, this, this narrative of the nativity story in Matthew chapter 2, where Herod killed all. All the babies, two years old and under. We sometimes read the Bible and we're like, oh, that's a great story. What if out of nowhere they come into our town and say, hey, all the babies that are two and under, we're going to kill them all. This is a heavy thing. This is, this is generation, a generational thing. These are seeds that will never be fulfilled because of one person's jealousy generations will never be born generations and generations will never be born but now we see that this the, that the in reality Herod would be considered the evil one in this is just a gloomy cloud over the over generations of Jewish boys because of one person and then we read the bible where it says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy us. And at times, we look at it as the enemy's coming to kill us in the physical form. There's a different kind of killing that is very bad <laughs> than physical sometimes. I mean, you wouldn't want to die. But in reality, when you're dead spiritually, it's, it's, you're, you're, it's, it's, no, it's pointless. See, that we feel like the enemy's coming around the corner and has a knife and ready to kill, steal, and destroy us. But sometimes it's spiritually that he comes, kills, steals, and destroys us. And if he kills, steals, and can destroy us spiritually, what he does, it takes our thoughts, takes our mindset away from God's calling in our life, and all we think about is our carnal state. If he can take you away from your focus to God, he has killed you spiritually. He's come to kill, and, and he's jealous. You know why, and I say this all the time, you know why the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy you? Because you stole his job. He was supposed to be the worship leader of heaven, and he was horrible at it. He tried to take all the credit for himself, and Jesus said, hey, and then now God made people like us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And guess what? You do better than him. So he's mad at you. He's jealous with you. And now he wants to kill, steal, and destroy your purpose because you do his job and you do better at it. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. See, when you... when. When the enemy knows when you really get a hold of your purpose, when you really get a hold of the calling on your life, then, then hell itself should be trembling because you know the purpose. You have, the, you have the, the guts to take hell itself. You have the courage to take hell itself because you know your identity is not in your issue, but it's in God. And the enemy hates that. So here we want to talk about three things, four things that the... That, 
that makes us live this nightmare life where the enemy tries to kill, steal, and destroy? Where does the enemy, I want to pinpoint four things, four areas in your life real quick that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy that we need to identify and let God take hold of those moments so we can live a dream and not a nightmare. This first thing is this. The enemy wants, he wants to come kill your hope. He wants to kill your hope. If you, if he kills your positivity, he knows that you only live in defeat. If he kills your positivity, your hope in life, he knows that you're only going to live in defeat. When you lose hope in the Lord, your eyes become, you become skeptic of everything around you. Oh, a miracle is happening in front of you and you think it's a coincidence and it's not God. Because your eyes are open to skepticism because you lost hope in him and you're putting hope in things that are carnal and not supernatural. See, we have to understand that our hope is the glue that keeps our faith aligned to his will. And the enemy is coming with the old tricks that he always does from the beginning. How about this? When he talked to Adam and Eve, hey, didn't, didn't God say not to eat from the fruit? Like, did, didn't he say that you couldn't eat from the fruit? And curiosity set, and like, they were like, oh, yeah, he did. He used the same tactics that he used with us today. It's just enough truth for us to think that we can do it and not go in God's will. See, and then what happened? Adam, and, Adam lost hope and truth and, and started living a lie and fell short of the original plan that, he got, that God had for his life. Our hope is the lifeline and the rhythm of our faith. Hope is saying this, no matter what, I still believe. No matter what, I still trust in the Lord. No matter what, I still have faith. No matter what, I still give. I am still obedient because my hope is settled not on outwardly things, but on spiritual things because I am his and he is mine. In John, Romans chapter 12, 12 says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. It gives you three things right there. Be, be rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. How about Hebrew chapter 11, verse one, it says, now faith is the assurance things hope for and the conviction, the vision of things not seen. How about Romans chapter eight, verse 24, 25 says, for in, in this hope, we were saved. Now hope is seen, is hope seen is not hope for hope, for hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait and be patient. There's a lot of hopes going on there. But basically it's saying, if you got to see it, to believe it, it ain't hoping in him. Our hope is assurance that he is still God and I am still human. I don't have the abilities. I don't have the resources within myself. But when I put my hope aligned with his will, I, I live in the supernatural. I live a, a be, better than what I, I expected or better than I even need because he is my hope. I, lo I love people that, that, that when you say, how you doing today? Blessed and highly favored. You know what I'm talking about? And you know sometimes they're not blessed and highly favored. But what are they doing? They're hoping in things unseen. I wish I had that kind of hope. Because sometimes when you tell me, how you doing? I'm like, well, it's been a rough one. It's been a rough week. But when you're blessed and highly favored, it doesn't matter the circumstance around you. You know who you're anchored into. 
and that is him. I love the old uh, hymn they used to say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fare, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. My hope is a solid rock. I'm not a wavering sea. My hope is aligned to his will for my purpose. The enemy's going to try to come and steal it, but my hope is anchored in the truth, which is Jesus Christ. He's going to kind of try to come and steal your hope. Another thing he kind of tries to come and steal, he comes and tries to kill your mind. Here's where we go. Our mind. This thing up here, this thing messes us up. Our mind. If he can, if he can make you believe a lie, you only live in your thoughts. Now let me ask you this question. What if you really lived in your thoughts that you tell yourself? How productive will your life be? I'll give you a minute. Because if, if I really lived what this dumb thing is telling me, I would be depressed. I will be full with anxiety. I, will be, I, 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 I don't know what I would do. Because sometimes your thoughts play mind games with you. And in your carnal thoughts are destructive. But with the thoughts of God, we are more than a conqueror. Isaiah chapter 55 says it like this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, uh, my ways higher than your ways. And, your thought, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We have to be aligned to the thoughts of God. And the thoughts of God that we get is through his word. If you don't have his word in you, you're only living by your thoughts. I'm not going to patty cake here, all right? If you're not getting into his word and you're listening to the words that he speaks over your life, who's speaking over your life? What thought is speaking over your life? We have too many people that are having mind games, that are having problems with their mind, is because they're putting their minds on not spiritual things. Spiritual things. How, how, how about this? See, this is how we know that he, how about David and Bathsheba? See, here's what I think I, I, I understand is this. An action is always started with a thought. Bathsheba, she looking good. David's on top of that. that he's like, He's looking at her, he's like, you know, when you're like in the trance. And then a thought came to his mind. And here's where we mess up. We are going to have unholy thoughts. Because we're in fallen state. We're, we're, we fall short of his glory all the time. But a thought can be a thought and doesn't need to be an action. And this is where David went wrong. He looked at her, and he could have been like, God, forgive me. I'm just, I don't know what's going on because we're on human state, right? But what he did is like, oh, it's like Zara drooling and everything. Go get that girl. He said, go get her. Sent his servants out to go get her. And he did what he needed to do because his thought became an action. But be careful with the thought becoming an action because then you have to have the consequences attached to that. 
Because that's what we don't know. We, oh, I just messed up. You know, like I'm human. Guess what? That's fine. You're human. There's grace. But there's also consequence. There's also consequence. And if you don't want the consequence, make sure the thought stays in that brain. And this is where we, he, the enemy keeps on, it's the same tricks. He doesn't just make up new things. He's been doing the same stuff forever. The same stuff. We need to understand that our thoughts are not our reality. We need to be aware that the enemy wants to crush us in our thoughts. And, and we, we, we can't make our thoughts become our actions. Our thoughts need to be aligned to his will, and his will is through his word and us being intentional in prayer and fasting. I don't know about you, but there's some times where I just need God to speak to me because my thoughts are going crazy. Everybody looked in the mirror and said, bro, you are crazy. The other day I'm like, what is wrong with you? You ever had a conversation with yourself? There's some holy people in this room because I'm not that holy. I look at myself and I'm like, bro, how dumb are you? Like, we, we're the worst critics to ourselves. Matter of fact, we speak w worse words about ourselves in our mind than other people speak about us. So maybe you're not fighting them. Maybe you're fighting yourself. See, we have to have the thoughts of God over our lives. And in the battlefield of our minds, we hold the key to the victories in our life. How do we do it? So now we know the enemy is going to fight us. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 6, it gives us the plan. It gives us the agenda. It gives us what we need to do as these thoughts come into our mind. For It says this, for though we walk in the flesh, which he's basically saying, hey, you're human. It, like the thoughts, the, the, you might get a little mindset. It's going crazy up there because we're in the flesh. Though you walk in the flesh, we are not waging war According to the flesh. So he's saying this. Yeah, it's in the flesh, but stop doing fleshly things to help in spiritual ways. To combat the flesh, you can't use the flesh. It's only through his spirit. Because we not, we're, our weapons of our warfare are not in flesh, but they're divine powers to destroy strongholds. We do not, we destroy every argument. Every lofty opinion rise against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. Everybody say captive. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience for your disobedience is complete. I love this show, Cops. You ever watch Cops? There's some crazy people in this world. When they, I was watching the other day, and this girl was just out of her mind. I mean, I think she was on some drug or something like that. And she started running from the cops. I love those parts because then they're, you hear them like, <laughs> like they're running and you know, <laughs> and they're running and they're running. So they get, they finally catch her, and she's like, "What did I do wrong?" He's like, "You ran from me. What are you talking about?" But they take them captive for something that they did. They they take them, they take a hold of them. And put them in a place where they belong. That's what we need to do about our, our, our mind. Our minds come and the, the ungodly thoughts, we got to take that thing captive. Put some handcuffs on that thing. We need to say, nope. And it says what? So it can obey Christ. 
So you have to know what your thoughts need to obey. And the only way you do that is through his word. That's why it's so important to be here on Wednesdays when we're getting deeper in his word. Because now the enemy's going to come and now you have some ammunition to be like, no, 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 no. I take this thing captive. I would not, I would not act on this. I am, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And I will make this thought, just be a thought and take it captive under the obedience of God. See, we have to take these things captive. And then now what do we do? Now that we take the captive, what do we do? Romans chapter 12, verse two says the other part of it. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. We have too many people not discerning their thoughts. If it comes in there, it's not always good to say it. I get in trouble with that sometimes. Why are you shaking your head? Just because it comes doesn't need to be said. Because we're discerning every thought and we're renewing our mind daily through his word. So then we become mature in our thought process. You want to be mature in your thought process? Start getting better thoughts in his word. Stop living what society tells you. Stop living what culture tells you. There's got to change every other day. But there's one thing that never changed. It says he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. So you need to be on something that is solid, not something that is constantly moving. And that is his word. We take every thought captive. He's going to try to kill you in your thoughts. Number three, he's going to try to kill you in your vision. If you keep your eyes on your issue and not on your God, your future becomes muddy and your vision becomes jacked. There's too many people that are scared of the future. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a real fear. We're not denying that. But when your eyes are on God, you know he holds your future. So why are you afraid? Yeah, in our human state, you got to know I'm human and it's going to scare me. But because I know the creator, I can stand a little confident in knowing my future is taken care of. See, that's, that's the issue. He, the enemy wants you to look at your issue and let it shake up your future. He wants you to be so scared because you know in the present that what God has for you is, can't be accomplished with what you're in now. But that's why he calls us to, be, to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. It's a growth process. It's a process to get you there. But I'm here to tell you today, do not be afraid of the future because you know who holds your future. But the enemy wants you to be so wrapped up in fear that you can't move forward in the vision that God has for you. The same tactics. Hey, Caleb and Joshua. God has this massive thing for your life. He has a promised land. And I want you to take you and a couple of your buddies and go examine the land. I want you to go examine the land and come and give me a report so we know how to take the land. So they go, and, the, and all of them come back, and their friends are like, hey, man, that land is some good land. I mean, you see, the, the, the vegetation's great, the land's great, uh, but there's one thing. 
there's giants in the land. And because of the giants, even though it's great, we can't go forward because we're scared of the giants. But then Joshua and Caleb says, hey, we saw the same fruit that you see. We saw the same giants. But have you seen the fruit? We can eat for days. It's time to get our butt up and let's take the land. Two different things. They saw the same thing. But one was gripped in fear for something that they can't control. But others saw the same thing and know who was in control and said, let's get up and go. Let's get up and go. Because the enemy uses the same stuff. He, they saw the giant. And it changed their perspective of the vision. The giants are always going to be there. The fear, the anxiety is always going to be there. But it's your job to look at the giant and say, hey, the giant's there, but I know who slays the giant. I know who makes us enter into the land. I know. Have you seen the fruit? If I get out of my comfort zone, if I get out of this anxiety, it might still be there. But if I walk into the promised land that God has for me, I'm going to be living full. I'm going to be living whole. Yes, the giant's still there, but I know who holds my victory. enemy uses the same stuff the enemy wants to distract your vision so you can't see the provision that God is doing in your life if your eyes are wandering on everything that can go wrong you can never see what anything that's going right because the future is secure by the position of your eyes let me say it again your future is secure by the position of your eyes if you're cross-eyed Looking, try to look at heaven, but then also looking to the side, your vision is cross-eyed. When your vision is on Christ, it doesn't matter what comes about. Yeah, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But your security is in the one who holds tomorrow, who holds today, and holds the past. He redeems the past. He makes you uh, be fruitful in the, in, in the present and gets you set up for the future because he's a God that is just full of grace and full of mercy. But the enemy wants you to look at the giant and not look at the provision. But it's time for us to be men and women of Christ who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves that we serve a, a, that Jesus, the one that died for our sins. We need to stand up and say, hey, giants, we're going to live in the same land because I know who's going to slay you. It's time for us to have some boldness about ourselves. And it's all about the vision, perspective. The life is going to sway our vision to a nightmare, but God wants to align us back into what his will is. Psalms chapter 16, verse 18 says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Your eyes, here's the thing. Let me break this down for you. I will keep my eyes on the Lord. That's your job. Your job is to keep your eyes on the Lord. With him at my right hand, the right hand in the Bible means the hand of authority. The hand of authority. So this is saying, while I keep my eyes on the Lord, his authority, his hand, the one who controls it all, is going to make me not be shaken. Get some confidence about yourself. 
you're called a child of God. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what, if you have shaky vision, why don't you get those eyes straight back on him? Because he's the author and finisher of your faith. And as I close, the last thing is this. He wants to try to kill your purpose. If he can kill you, your purpose, you live a pointless life. So what he's going to do, he's going to try to mess your vision, mess your thoughts, mess your hope. Why? Because he wants to mess your purpose. He knows if he can use his little tactics. Yo, if I can't get to their hope, I'm going to get to their mind. If I can't get to their mind, I'm going to mess up their vision. And all that's around is that he wants to kill your purpose. He wants to steal and kill your purpose. Because if he knew that he, if you fulfilled that purpose, hell itself will be defeated. An unfulfilled purpose is a win for the enemy. But I love going back to Joseph. I love the, I love the, the dream that he got. Because God knew the tactic of the enemy. And the tactic of the enemy was to kill all the babies so eventually he gets to Jesus. So God knowing that, what did he tell Joseph to do? He told Joseph to get up and move to another place. So This is so good. There's so many people that are dealing with all the issues of life because they're still encamped in the same place. You can't expect new vision living in the same place. You can't expect new perspectives living in the same place. He literally had to move the Messiah from one place to another place to secure the future of the Messiah. I'm here to tell you today, it's time to move to another place. It's time to move from the depression into a little bit of hope. It's time to move from the financial issues to provision that God has for you. It's, you have to move. If it's making you stay too long, it has your purpose. What if Joseph was like, hey, we'll leave in three days. Oh, hey, uh, uh, we have a house here. We, we have family here. We can't move to Egypt, which we don't know, the unknown. What would have happened to Jesus probably? Because the plan of the enemy was to kill, steal, and destroy. So Jesus is saying, so God told, told Joseph, get up. It's time to move. Get up, it's time to move to another place. The lies and the schemes of the enemy, it's a cycle that we all deal with, but we need to stop living in the place that's making us feel that certain way. You're having mind games. It's time to move on. It's time to, it was years ago. Yes, it hurt, but it's time to move from that place into a place of healing. So what places do you need to move in your life. It might be a relationship. 
teenagers, young adults, if they're not pushing you towards Jesus, maybe it's time to move. If it's an everyday constant battle to try to save someone, it might be time to move. Because you're not the savior. He is. Maybe it's time to move on from that situation. Yeah, that coworker hurt you. But they're living their life while you're still living in the hurt. It's time to move. Your peace is way too more is way too important for you to stay there. It's time to move. Maybe some of you need to delete that app that is making you stumble. You can't live in freedom if you still move towards defeat. It's time to move. Maybe some of you need to move that computer from your room. Oh, but I am strong enough. No, you're not. And it's okay. But you can't live here anymore. It's time to move on. Sometimes you need to set some boundaries around your time. Just because it makes you more money, you're losing your family. It's time to move on. It's time to get up and move. It's time for us to move. Let God be in control. If it takes control over you, if it makes you stray away from Christ, it's not your purpose. It's time to move to another place to experience new things, out of depression into hope, out of abuse into restoration, out of acceptance into wholeness. It's time to move into the new. It's time to move to another place. The enemy is going to come to try to kill, steal, and destroy. You're trying to make a nightmare of your, of your life. But I'm here to tell you that you are not a victim. You are an overcomer through Christ Jesus. That God has died for your sins. That's for you to be live in victory and not in victim. It's time for us to stop camping in places where we're supposed to be moving out of. It's time for us to live a life full of joy, full of happiness, because it's time for us to not listen to the mind games, the lie of the enemy, the mindset, the thoughts might come, but the thoughts don't have you. It's time for us to be in control over our lives again. The culture doesn't control our life. The, the government doesn't control our life. Uh, our, our issue doesn't control our life. No, there's a God that loves you, that created you before you were even your mother's room. He created you. Don't you think he cares about you? It's time for us to move on and to move into a place of new, not a nightmare, but living in the purpose and the dream that he has for us. For more information about Axios, go to axioschurch.com. There you can get more information, give, and connect. Remember, we love you, and we're in this together.